on the podcast, we are talking all about emerging excellence for emerging leaders and also what CEOs can do to support them. We have a wide ranging discussion from mindset, training and mentors. Super excited to be here speaking with Brett all about it. Let's jump in. Growing up, I thought leadership and being a leader was something that you do when you have lots of grey hair, wrinkles, decades of experience. (laughs) Exactly. Just like you, Brett, you are the epitome of leadership in my future. And that was kind of what I saw was possible for leaders, was someone who had done their time as a leader, so to speak, maybe a CEO or director. Uh, But early in my career, my early 20s, I unexpectedly took on a leadership role when I founded my first business. And it was really because I wanted to make a difference in women in engineering. It wasn't because I, you know, wanted to, to be in that CEO role. And it was quite unexpected. And I have to say, way more challenging and a lot less glamorous than I thought leadership was going to be. So leadership is something people aspire a lot to. Brett, would you say, what would you say leadership is or being a leader means to you? Is it glamorous or is it a bit, you know, rough and ready? Look, I I think you've just inspired me. I, I mean, you said, and I'll paraphrase here, that when you were 20, you started to want to get into leadership. You founded a business when you were 20. And I know with what you and Michael are doing now, you're still very young in your career. Uh, so I think it's important for me to say, first and foremost, Felicity, that I never actually wanted to be a leader. I was too scared to be a leader when I first, you know, when I was in the police and then in, earlier on in my career, I never actually thought that I had what it takes to be a leader. And I think that's an important conversation that we'll no doubt have. What does it take to be a leader? And I think a couple of things that I've really come to grips with over my time in leadership is a leader is not a level It's not a role. It could actually be any individual just doing something to inspire others. And so I I think getting back to your question, leadership just sort of fell upon me in my career. Um, And it was more as a result of me failing in my life. I'm sitting here right now because I'm a gross failure. I got kicked out of university. Um, I failed school and I had to repeat grade 12. And I think the reason I say that is at no stage in my career or in my life back then, 30 years ago, did I ever think that I would have been a CEO of two really great organisations in the last seven, seven, seven and a half years. And more importantly than that, be talking to people about my leadership journey. Yeah, it's funny. I I often think young people do aspire to it without really realising what it is, but I've been so fascinated. We've interviewed dozens of CEOs, very experienced leaders of large companies, and literally every one of them has said it was not something that I aspired to, which really surprises me. I thought it would be something that maybe I'm such a goal-orientated person that, you know, that's sort of on my to-do list of I'm going to go do this thing. But um, I think, and I think it also makes for a really great leader because people are very humble and then they're in it for the right reasons. There's a real why and a sense of purpose that sits behind it. Is, is that something that there for you as well there's a there's a why of being a leader and a purpose for you oh absolutely i mean if i think about you know the most important thing i I think that i do on a daily basis it's and it's hard to explain but i really believe that every interaction that i as the as the leader of my organization or a leader generally have with any individual person whether it's a walk by in the corridor whether it's sitting out in the lunchroom just working in the lunchroom so that people can feel and see you there I've got a really big belief that 
um, the purpose for me is every interaction can make or break somebody. Mm. And, and I really believe that from a leadership perspective, we've got to be true to the people that we are leading, the people that we're supporting. And so my purpose really from a leadership perspective is to be authentic and to be empathetic. It's that simple for me. Now, um, some people don't like that. They want more from leaders. But in my view, the most, the best leaders that I've ever seen have been authentic and empathetic. Um, mm. And so that's the real big purpose for me around leadership. And it's those, those people skills rather than the, uh, I guess, technical aspects of being a leader. And recently I'm actually doing my PhD looking at leadership and emerging leaders, which has been so fascinating to challenge a lot of my thinking. And that's what I've really enjoyed about this exploratory phase of starting the PhD. And my supervisor asked me, is there a difference between leadership and being a leader and can you define them? And I started researching all different definitions around what it could, what it, what is leadership? And I thought, oh, it's such a common word and even being a leader, but there's so many different elements to it, definitions. And kind of the conclusion I got to was leadership is almost like a process. You could write down a role and define it of this is what leadership is. But then being a leader, like you said earlier, could just be that you, you know, pick up rubbish off the floor and someone notices that and they go oh okay that's what it is to to be a leader and take charge of something or it is helping somebody else out or sharing authentically and leading a conversation of vulnerability and there's that being a leader no matter where you're at what are your thoughts on the two I agree with everything you've just said I mean when you were talking about you know picking up a piece of paper or something one of my favorite books of all time is a book called Legacy and it's about the All Blacks um, and in effect, I'll paraphrase what the book says, but it basically says that the role of a leader is to leave in the book's view, the role of a leader is every person in the All Blacks team and a support are to leave, leave the All Black jersey in a better place. And one of the things that they talk about is cleaning the sheds. And so Richie McCaw, you know, uh, it was after a World Cup game, he was seen with no one around but you could see the cameras in the shed, he's picking up the, the papers off the floor. And I think getting back to what you said, Felicity, a leader is often not seen doing the stuff. What, in my view, often what leadership is about, which is different to being a leader, is leadership is about being seen to do something. But being a leader is actually often doing stuff when somebody can't see it. It's behind the closed doors. It's having the hard conversations. It's having the real conversations. It's setting the strategy. And actually being able to deal with self in particular in a way that when you walk back out from behind the closed door, you can actually be what an organisation needs you to be. So I agree with everything you've just said there. You just had me think of an image of an iceberg where there's the top part where people actually see what you do and then there's all of that piece underneath where, like you said, even dealing with yourself, having to figure out how do I empower someone while having a challenging conversation at the same time? How do I let someone go and do what's right for the business but then be true to myself and, and authentic and live those values that I have? So, I, yeah, could, I just imagined an iceberg there. Of There's the piece that people see on the outside and then there's so much that sits behind that influence and um, even self-reflection as well. And I think, you know, one of the things that people often forget about um, and, or they don't know or think about until they get into a role of leadership or, or being a leader is it's really, really, really lonely. Like, you know, that, that behind the closed doors thinking and, and strategizing and actually building yourself up to be able to do the things that you need to do in the external environment can actually be really, really challenging. And so once again, I think 
you know, leadership is almost like the verb of doing something, but a leader is often not necessarily a role. It's somebody that does something in my view that is actually doing something to benefit themselves, others, an organisation, etc. And so I think there is a difference, getting back to, you know, your, your definition, in, your, your defining piece of your PhD, I think it's a really, really complex conversation. Mm. And how do you, what have you seen in, in terms of even your own personal experience or other leaders that you've hung out with how do you think people deal with that loneliness? Because I to- totally agree. I've definitely experienced it being lonely and especially when you've got that responsibility of making those tough decisions, the buck stops with you. There's no one else that's going to come in and save the day. How do you how do you deal with that? What have you tried? I've cried. I can remember in one role um, a couple, probably about four years ago, I came home on a Sunday night after a significantly big crisis over a period of three or four days. And I, and I literally hadn't been home for it for a number of days. And, and my, my wife and my son were waiting for me literally and I walked up the door. And I walked in the door and I just cried. I literally just blubbered, you know, because it was so hard. And so I think what, getting back to the point, you know, the question, I think there's no right or wrong way for dealing with the loneliness. There's no right or wrong way for dealing with the pressure, etc. But I come back to one of probably the most important questions that I ever got asked. And it was on December the 15th, 2015. I remember it clearly. Um, I just had a job for a, for a previous CEO role and I was told that afternoon that I got the role. And the chair of the board that I was working for, he picked up the phone to me and he said, you've got the job. And he asked me one question. He said, who's the most important person in your life? And I said, my wife and my family. He goes, no. He said, you're wrong. You are, because if you're not looking after self, if you're not looking after your emotional well-being, if you're not looking after your physical well-being, all of that, you can't be any good to anyone else. And so I think getting back to the question about how do you deal with the loneliness, I run, I ride, I talk about how hard it is, um, and I just try and let people know when I'm frustrated and when it's really, really hard. That is really That can be difficult because in a leadership role, as you would know, Felicity, some people will take that and use that as a, a sword. But, you know, I think I'm a very, I wear my heart in my sleeve. And being an authentic leader, people can see when I'm struggling. I think it's okay to say, you know what, I'm struggling with this. I need some time or something or I need some help. That's how I deal with the loneliness of it. What about you? Oh, good question. You just reminded me of um, one experience I had where our business was failing. We had an investor on board and we had made all these big promises. It was something I cared deeply about around getting more kids excited about maths in schools with real world maths. And we hadn't made the sales. We had to let our team go. I wasn't paying myself. I was in a really bad place. And I remember uh, there was a, a good friend of mine and a mentor and she said, oh, how's business going? And I was like, great. It's fine. Yeah, it's it's all good. Nothing to see here. I can handle it all. And I think I really felt like I had to have that outward impression of of handling everything and everything being fine. And people were looking to me, especially when you start your own company and you've made these promises. And it is something I, you know, very, very much care about. And I actually ended up calling her back and said, I'm really not great. Things are going bad. And it was so funny actually because she's like I run a business I know it sucks so that I just knew was total bs what you were saying 
And it was such a relief to hear someone say that back of, I know what it's like and I know that it's hard. And I was so grateful. I called her and was authentic and ended up, I ended up doing some consulting for her, which um, meant that you know, we could put food on the table, which is what I actually really needed to do at the time. And I wasn't taking care of my mental health. So uh, I think having a community around me is something that I find really beneficial, whether it's my best friend that I can call and just do a verbal vomit to of here's all the stuff that's going on. I don't need it to be solved or fixed. I just need to share. Um, I've got a psychologist that I see every month, which I find really beneficial and having a community around me. I think often when you're a leader, particularly on the younger side of things, it can feel lonely as well because you sort of go, oh, what are my peers doing? Are they aspiring to the same things as me? So I've often found um, having people who are on similar journeys has has been really helpful but also really experienced people like yourself Brett who have tread that path before to go yep you know what it is hard and it is challenging and even just hearing some of your examples of of failures or mistakes is so refreshing to think oh okay it's all right like I've got some breathing room here to make some mistakes and you didn't die you're still alive and it was a challenging time and going okay well you know if Brett can do it maybe maybe I can too so I think uh, for me mentors have been really really helpful and having that community around you to yeah just share what's going on and what you're dealing with authentically um yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think you know the fact that we're talking about it you know at, early in my career I was in the police there's no way and this is 30 years ago there's no way we would have talked like this in the police back then now it's mm-hmm. different now there's a lot more support around the police and what what police do on a daily basis is really really tough right and I think the fact that it is now, um, sorry, I'll, I'll say it a different way. The fact that in particular men are willing to say, I need help, and the fact mm-hmm. that there's a conversation that's about that, I think is a really important thing from a leadership perspective because back when I was coming through, the leader had to be stoic and had to be ice and all that type of stuff. But those leaders would fail. Because, you know, particularly if we look at the younger generation coming through now, they want authenticity. They want real leadership. They want people who will be empathetic and connect with them at a personal level. A lot of, you know, what we see uh, about people coming through, you know, for jobs that that we are offering, they are all about what's in it for them. And and I think that's a change in respect of what we're seeing in in, in the market at the moment. A leader has to be able to connect at an individual personal level and I think part of that is actually saying you know what it's hard and I need help and I think without doing that leaders will will really struggle I think. Mm, you've raised such a good point and it's perfect segue into what I wanted to chat about next which is we have a different workplace now it's constantly evolving and changing but right now we've got five generations in the workplace that's never happened before we've got majority of our people are millennials by 2025 it's going to be 75 percent now that's only a couple of years away we've also got the experience of baby boomers who are working longer that are still in the workforce so we've got a a different dynamic it's changing and I certainly think when I started my engineering career 15 years ago that yeah I would would not have seen a vulnerable leader sharing authentically and it is becoming more commonplace even in uh, more technical professions or um, male-dominated professions as well so there is a new dynamic that we're seeing in the workplace so how do you think leaders can prepare for this you know some leaders might have been around for quite an extensive period of time and not have been vulnerable in their workplace before where do you even start 
I think you've got to look at self. You know, I'm a big believer in looking at self. I don't think that you can truly lead others unless you lead self. And part of that, you know, if, if I look at me, I'm over 50, I'm Anglo-Saxon, I'm a CEO. The, the dynamic that I have now needs to be recognised that a lot of the problems in the workforce generally over many, many years come from people who are my background, demographic, et cetera, right? And I think the fact that we're talking about it is really important. I think what leaders need to understand is their role is to make sure that they've got to get the right people for the organisation, not the right people for them as leaders, but the right people for the organisation. And I think part of that comes down to, once again, leading self, understanding what you need, what you're good at and what you're not good at. You know, some people still want sycophants around them. Some people still want yes people around them. I don't want those people. I want people who will challenge me. I want people who will think differently, who will think outside the square. And I think, you know, in the market right now, you talk about millennials. Millennials want something that is different. They want a real connection to the organisation. You know, we're just in the process of putting together our first ever employee value proposition. One of the things that we're talking about right now is how do we make sure that we see that we're getting the right person applying for the job, not necessarily for the now, but for the future. So I think, Felicity, getting back to your point, I think leaders need to really understand that if they want their organisation to be successful, the way it has traditionally worked needs to be changed. And you need to look at who's coming through and what the market is driving. Millennials mm. want something different. And if you don't get on board with that, I really think you're going to struggle to get the right people. I feel like we're a demanding generation, Brett, uh, wanting to get our purpose and, and wanting all these things in the workplace. And actually I watched a really interesting Simon Sinek talk recently and he was talking about we have these high expectations for our workplaces now where it's, you know, there's a mental health care side of things, there's community because we uh, have not been, you know, we're not in those structures anymore where we're living with extended family often, um, particularly if, you know, for me um, coming from a white similar background to you, uh, we, you know, have our nuclear families and so we don't have that community around us so there is a lot of expectation on the workplace and on leaders and there's so much more to navigate rather than just coming to work doing your job and going home it's almost like a whole ecosystem oh i absolutely agree and you know if you look at covid covid taught us that the environment within which you work has changed forever you know the the, the, the ability or the requirement to have somebody in an organization at a desk with two or 300 other people. You don't necessarily need that anymore. And once again, if we look at the younger generation of millennials and, and, and other groups like that, they are so mobile. That not only are they mobile, they're technically enabled more so than ever before, right? The, an organisation that wants to attract the right people with the right skills needs to understand that the environment that they offer has to meet those needs. There is a skill shortage at the moment, right? It is an employee's market. It's not an employer's market. So what we've got to do is we've got to say, if we want to get the right people for the right job, we've got to offer them something that they, that they really want. Hmm. And I think it benefits in so many other ways as well. I was just reading this week, the World Economic Forum was talking about Spotify, how all their roles are now flexible and their women in leadership went from 25% to 43% as a result. And I think how amazing is that? There's so many other benefits, not just, you know, people want to come to work and want to work for you, but there's also the diversity targets. People are, in, you know, want, really wanting to be there and those 
those arrangements work far beyond just the logistics and day-to-day for people. It's actually helping with things like diversity, which I think is great. Yeah, I agree. And once again, we've got to tap into the individual. You know, we lead people. We don't necessarily lead an organisation. The people are an organisation. So if we don't tap into what makes somebody tick and if they don't inspire, if don't feel inspired by, by the connection, then I think that they're not going to want to be there. So I think, you know, once again, leaders need to lead people, not just an organisation. It's a tough gig for leaders that we're, it's a big ask, I think, that we're putting on people. I think it's the right ask, but what practical advice would you have for people who are in the leadership role today, navigating this space? What are some of the the things they can do, things they can try out um, practically and implement within their workplaces or as leaders themselves? I think a, a big part is being be seen. Um, one of the things that I love to do um, here is, is I'll grab my laptop and I'll go and sit out in the lunchroom and I'll sit there for hours whilst people come in and they go and get their coffee and they just, you know, they go and get their lunch. I'll work from the lunchroom. And, and some of my of my colleagues said, why do you do that? And I said, it's about being seen. Mm. You know, I think a leader that is seen will tap into that, that cohort. A leader that sits behind their desk and gets people to come to them I don't think we'll get the feel for the organisation. I'm a really big believer a leader has to walk from behind his or her desk. They have to get out and get around to the organisation. So, so that's a tip that I would say to any emerging leader. Get out from behind your, your desk. Go and work in the organisation. Go and actually be seen. But not only be seen, just listen. So I, I quite often just sit and just listen to what people are saying. Um, I'm also a believer in, in letting people ask any questions. So I've got a, a mantra. Any person can ask me any questions. And I say that you'll get one of three answers. I say, I'll tell you the truth. I say, if I don't know the answer to the question, I'll find it and I'll come back to you. Or I'll say to them, I know the answer, but I can't tell you. The reason I talk about that, Felicity, is is the feedback that I've had in my leadership roles where I've used that mantra, for lack of a better word, is at least people feel like they can have a question asked and if I don't tell them, it's not as if I'm hiding. It's just I'm being honest and saying, I can't tell you. So that's another tip. And the third tip I'll say, and then I'll throw back to you, is I think leaders, irrespective of whether they've been in a role for a long time or an emerging leader, need to think about legacy. Legacy is not about the decisions you make today. My view is that every decision you make today could come back to bite somebody that's sitting in your chair in five or ten years' time. Think about what the decision might mean in the future. I really think that the decisions we make now impact those in the organisation in the future. So I always think about that as well. Mm, I like asking. What, what do you? What do you? What do you throw people? What are your mantras? I wasn't expecting a throwback question. Um, oh, it's a good one. I, I really liked what you said around um, asking people. Uh, oh gosh, I totally forgot what I was going to say now because I was like, oh, that was really good, Brett. We'll edit this bit out. Um, Oh, like asking the question, is it going to matter in five years' time? Is this really that important? And often things are not that important as much as I think we think they are in the moment. And you go, oh, am I actually going to, yeah, remember it in the future? And I think often we're not. And so then it has you think about what are the key things and, and the big, the big, big ticket items that are actually going to matter. I think for me as a leader, I really strongly believe of getting to know the person, their individual goals and their motivation. So if I think about the team that I'm working with, I'll often ask, I'll always ask them, why are you here? 
why does it matter what's important to you personally and professionally? Because I think if we ca- if we don't know that, we can't tap into those motivations, then it's almost, it's that I feel as a leader, it's my responsibility in a way to make sure they're being fulfilled. And there's definitely an element of people empowering themselves and going to work on uh, and, and taking ownership of that. But as a, as a leader, I go, okay, are you motivated? Can I support that? And it could be that they really um, are passionate about, you know, a particular type of technology. So, or it could be that they just love working on a certain type of project or they love learning new things. I think a lot of my team love learning new things and making sure they're not doing the same kind of tasks ongoing is important to them and that's great because it means it's going to be better for our business because they're going to be doing the things that are important to them so um yeah always asking that question of why you're here what's important and and what are your goals and it could be that they actually really want something that's simple and easy to do because they've got challenges in their personal life which is totally fine and totally okay um, but similar to, to your point brett really just stopping and asking people and genuinely connecting not just oh, hey, what's going on, on to the next thing um, is taking that time. And it does take time, but it's so worth that investment in the end and the long term for the success of your, your people, but also the business. It's that presence piece, right? You know, the the, the, the guy I told you about earlier on, um, you know, from, from the 15th of December 2015, as you can tell, a very defining moment in my, in my career. Um, he, he put me onto a book and the book is called One Moment, Please. Um, and this book is a brilliant book. It's all about one thing, presence, right? And so, you know, I think another thing that emerging leaders should always keep in the back of their mind is when they're sitting in front of somebody, there should be no one else more important than that person that they're sitting with. You know, I've, I've been in rooms where leaders that I've worked with have been on their phone or been writing or been looking around and stuff. I'm a really big believer that when you're in the room or when you're, when you're working with somebody and you are the leader, you need to give that person all your time and all your energy because otherwise they will feel that you're not really connected to them. And it's that point that you made about connection, right? I think that's a really, really important point. So, you know, I think that's another thing that emerging leaders could could always keep in the, in the back in, in their toolkit as well. Mm, I had an embarrassing experience on on that because I, I was doing a course and one of the things was to ask people, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What do you know about me? And I interviewed five people. It was a minimum of five people. And it was from all different areas of my life. And they actually said to me, I feel like you're not present. And I, I actually thought I actually wasn't at the time. I was distracted. I was actually distracted because I was worried about what people would think of me and what people would think about what I'm saying. You know, you're kind of, you're not even really listening. You're just waiting to respond. And I thought, oh my gosh, I do it everywhere and people noticed. And it was amazing that they gave me that feedback and I could actually go do something about it and go change. Uh, it was so embarrassing to have five people from all different areas of my life saying that, but it's critical and it does so much for building psychological safety. A lot of that research says that by being present and, and connecting with people and yeah, even just putting putting the phone away so simple, uh, but so powerful to have those moments. I'm definitely going to look up that book and um, and check it out. It's a great great tip. Great tips. Um, what else? What else can leaders do? What about mindsets? I know that's a big a thing that's really important to you. Um, we've spoken in the past around growth mindset. Is that something that you've really adopted into your practice as a leader? And and tell us a bit about what growth mindset means to you. So for me, growth mindset is simply saying. Don't tell me what we can't do. Tell me how we can do it. I'm a really big believer in turning a negative into a positive, right? 
So, and, and I, I think growth mindset first came to me as a result, you know, with our little man, he was probably four or five at the time. He was struggling with a couple of things. And so my wife went and we, we got some help with him. And, and then I got introduced to this thing, growth mindset. And I remember it was a little, a little blurb on the fridge. And, and, and I've taken that because I saw the change in him. So for me, I think growth mindset is really important because what it does, it fundamentally shifts a problem from being something that you can't fix to something that you can fix. So I believe in growth mindset. I also think as part of that, one of the really tough things to do as a leader is to give people an opportunity to fail safely. If you don't give people an opportunity to extend themselves, to extend their skills, to challenge you, then they won't grow. And so that's how I put growth mindset into, into place, you know, every single day at work. I really believe that there should be nothing that is too big that we can't take on. Yes, it might be difficult and yes, there might be blockers, but by simply saying, don't tell me how we can't, tell me how we can, it fundamentally changes the conversation. I think that's a really important thing. So that's what growth mindset means to me. What about to you? Mm. Well, it's a concept I heard more from my work in education and working with teachers and it really surprised me. It's not something that we talk about every day in engineering and of course, as engineers, our technical training has us assess risk, make sure we tick all the boxes, go through the process. It's often a very rigid process, understandably. You know, we don't have buildings fall down, which is, of course, a good thing. We have a lot of safe safety and work practices and things like that. And so, yeah, for me, it's around, uh, it's, you know, like you said, sort of asking how can I or how might we? And those questions to go, is this true? Is this accurate? You know, even about yourself, like I go, oh, I'm just not a good maths person. Well, when did I decide that? When did I have that fixed story about myself? And maybe it's not even true. Um, as a personal example, I thought I was terrible at sport. My sister said, let's go do a triathlon. I thought she's crazy. Uh, ended up, I mean, I'm not very fast, but I've done a couple of Olympic triathlons. I've done a marathon, but I still have this story like I'm not a sports person. I'm not good at sport. My friends laugh and they go, what are you talking about? Have you done a marathon or have you done an Olympic distance triathlon? You, you know, you can do, you know, you're good at sports. So I think it's easy to get these fixed judgments of ourselves, even if it is on leadership or I'm not good with those kinds of people or I can't do that. Um, and it is tricky to reassess and, and and even question yourself and your capabilities. So as engineers, I think we often don't get trained in that sense of being, um, you know, open, not so open. I think we are open-minded, but that a different way of looking at things and we don't often get trained in growth mindset and people we're often in that technical capacity so it can be challenging to to sort of rethink and reimagine um i think we're getting better at it but it's not a traditional thing we've been trained in so i think it can be difficult um for people to to have that mindset brought into their everyday workplace and i think if we go back to one of the first conversations that we had today around you know what is leader versus leadership um, somebody who actually has a growth mindset will challenge the way that things are already being done in an organisation and that in itself demonstrates that they could be a future leader of the organisation. And, and there, are, there are people, and millennials um, are really, really good at challenging the status quo. I mean, you've just got to look at climate change, you've got to look at a whole range of other big geopolitical issues. Millennials are the people who are driving a lot of that conversation and change now, that wouldn't have happened when I was growing up. Obviously, social media wasn't around. I'm very, very old. Um, but, but the role of, of our youth is completely different now, right? Very much, I think, and it's a generalist comment, but 
there are lots of examples that would demonstrate that a growth mindset is evident in a lot of millennials. And as a result, what that means is they themselves are leading. And I think that's a really important thing. Growth mindset doesn't necessarily have to come from the top. It can come from anybody in the organisation just asking the question, how can we do this better? And I think that's a really important thing that leaders who accept, embrace, encourage that type of conversation can actually bring a growth mindset throughout an, an entire organisation. Absolutely. And there's some great examples of this. And to your point earlier, people are going to walk, they're going to change organizations if they're not getting what they they want out of it. And then other organizations are, are adapting to that. And there's some great examples like Grace Tame or um, Brittany Higgins or even Greta Thunberg. You know, Greta's 16. She's going to go sit outside parliament. She's going to go take a stand. She's not going to go to university, study politics, have a you know 20-year career in politics to then go create change. And even the Chancellor of Germany was saying that she, uh, when she was in power, she changed climate change policy because of the things that Greta was saying. Now, that just seems unreal that a 16-year-old can have that kind of impact or even Grace Tame and the changes that she's made in legislation. And she didn't go, you know, study law to then go change the law. She's going, I'm making a stand. And I think we're going to see more of this where companies really need to stand up and listen. And particularly with this employee-led market where people are going to walk and, and go to other organizations. It's I feel I feel the same. It's it's that people are not gonna not gonna sit around and wait anymore. And if and if an, an organization can't talk about what they bring to that contractual relationship between employer and employee through an employee value proposition or an ESG or something along those lines, then they're just not going to have the market penetration that they want in respect of recruiting and retaining and importantly the brand in the, in their you know in this in their individual sector as well. Absolutely. It becomes a reputation risk as well, not just, um, you know, doing business. We had some questions come in um, from the chat, from the floor. So I'm going to jump to those. Uh, we've got one here um, around this person's leading a team of people and um, they they could be great leaders, but they don't see themselves as leaders. How would you approach that, Brett, to shift that mindset in in that in that team? Well, I think the first thing you've got to do is you've got to make sure that um, the conversations you're having with your leadership team filter down to say, we want to know if we could do something better. I think that's a really, really important thing. I think the second thing as well is, you know, I go back to, I spend time literally just listening, sitting out on the floor, working, you know, walking around the floor, et cetera. Um, if somebody comes up to you and tells you something, I think action it. It might be, I'll go and look at that. Or you said something really interesting here. Let me explore that further and then go back and tell them. I think that's really important, right? Because what that does is it demonstrates that they're having an impact. They might not get what they want, but I think as the leader, you need to actually demonstrate that you're listening and people can talk to you and offer you different ideas. I think the third thing, and I made mention of this before, is give people a safe space to actually fail. You know, we want people of different levels in the organisation to try different things. I really think that allowing people the opportunity to, to fail safely and to feel supported in doing so is a great way for uh, people who may not actually see themselves as leaders to actually start to understand and to recognise that actually maybe they are. So there are a couple of examples. What are some examples? No, that's great. 
Yeah, I've had some amazing managers in the past who have really supported me and mentors as well. I think one that in particular that comes to mind was when we did our first event for Power of Engineering. We'd you know done one thing. I was excited. We had 131 girls come. We ran our toilet paper in the engineering building at QUT in Brisbane because we had so many girls in the building. We'd never had that before. And it felt like a real success. And I met this new mentor and she said, maybe this could be a national organization and I thought she is crazy but she was on the Reserve Bank of Australia board at the time and I thought well this person who's got so much experience who am I to say that she's wrong that I couldn't do that so having that mentor believe in me and think oh this could be possible for you had me go or maybe I could do it and I've had similar situation in the past where someone has given me a challenge that I didn't think I was capable of but a colleague actually said, well, she wouldn't have given you that task if she didn't think you could do it. And just having that belief or having others believe in me, I think can be really powerful. So if, you, if you're in that leadership position, like you said, creating that safe space, Brett, for people to, to try and fail. And it could be you know, not like a project related, project critical task, but it could be a smaller task. I think we can really build confidence in people by them giving things a go, showing they could do it or showing the different skills that, that they, they do have. Because I thought to be a good employee, I should be this perfectly technical engineering person who's perfect at maths and science, great with detail, which I'm actually not great with detail which probably you know for an engineer not not the best I can do it if I put my mind to it but it takes a lot of energy and for me I'm better with people and communication so once I was given tasks that were in that realm and I I could see that I was doing it and saw the results with that support from a mentor then that really gave me that confidence that maybe I could do more and maybe I could lead things and that that gave me that confidence to to go okay yeah I could be a leader which is great I think it's also there's a, you know, some leaders want to jump in and rescue people. I think that can actually be a really limiting thing. Like if you've got somebody who's an up-and-comer and, and, you know, and and they're putting their hand up, you know, if they're failing, support them, right? But but I've seen and I've done this myself. Don't get me wrong. I've done this myself. I've, I've rescued somebody. And what that does is it actually impedes their own growth. And so if you've got somebody who is an up-and-coming leader, they may not see themselves as a leader. I try really, really hard not to rescue so that they can grow and so that they can learn themselves and then, you know, have a conversation with them about it. So I I just thought I'd throw that in there because, you know, particularly if you're early in your leadership journey, don't, don't, maybe if you're starting to get rescued, say to your leader, just give me an opportunity. Just give Mm. me an opportunity and I'll show you what I can do. There's a phenomenon in education, which I've heard a lot of teachers talk about, called learned helplessness. And to your point, Brett, I think we do often do that. It's I feel like I do that a lot with our two-and-a-half-year-old, even him get it, trying to get his T-shirt off. He, we're trying to teach him to do that the most, and the struggle, and he gets so frustrated and so angry. And uh, my husband, Michael's great. He says, okay, what else could you try? What else could you try? And he actually does try the things. And then he's so proud when he gets his T-shirt off. Now, very basic example, but I think it also applies to uh, leadership and encouraging people to do it. And they'll just learn that behaviour of that learned helplessness and then they won't get resilience. And how do you cope with failure and navigating those real challenges, which then prepares you to take on more and more. So there's definitely a lot of learned helplessness that I think can, can happen as well if we're doing those 
behaviors and yeah even just asking what else could you try simple question but it gets you thinking that growth mindset way as well i think that's right and and you know if we think about the important role that mentors have versus coaches a good mentor will never give you the answer a good mentor will say here's an experience that i've got what are you what could you do better do you know that type of thing and so you know that there's a lot of young leaders or even you know um, more senior leaders who have mentors I wonder whether or not sometimes the reason that somebody might not be getting what they need out of that mentor-mentee relationship is because the mentor is actually maybe being a little bit too directional. So, so, you know, I mentor a couple of people and I never, ever, I'm not saying it's right, but for my mentees, and I've had one mentee who, you know, for nearly four and a half, five years now, I never, ever give her the answer. But she doesn't expect the answer either. And she'll challenge me and I think, you know, what, the reason I talk about that role of, of mentor-mentee, you know, in the, in, in the example that you gave for your two-and-a-half-year-old son, that's a mentor-mentee relationship. It's exactly the same in business, right? Don't tell somebody how to do it. Give them an opportunity to grow. Support them. If they fail, have a conversation, coach them, and then let them keep trying again. I think that's a really important example. You know, mm. just that, that, that taking the shirt off is a really great example. And we're in the information age. We have expectations. I can Google something and find the answer. And then there's this frustration of where's the answer? I, my parents would always go, look it up in the encyclopedia. And I go, oh, dad, just tell me. But, yeah, I guess he was training me. I didn't see it at the time to go be resourceful. And those are the skills that we need in this ever-changing workplace and a perfect leadership skill as well because if we don't have those role models or mentors for ourselves, then we're not going to be able to pass on that role modelling and mentorship to others and then we're not going to be training that next generation and leaders as well. Absolutely. We've got another question from the floor. Uh, so this person's pretty early in their career. They think um, people, they're worried that people are going to think they're too young. Is there an age that you need to be to be a leader, Brett? No. I mean, we've talked about this ad infinitum today, right? You've given some examples before. The answer is no. You know, I mean, leadership starts with leading self. I'm, I'm such a big believer in that, right? Um, I'll, I'll give you a real-life example. My son is completely different to me. I'm quite wound up at times. And every morning I say to him, what do you got on at school today? He goes, oh, I don't know, Daddy. He said, I'll, I'll work it out when I get there. Now, the reason I say that is he's leading me. He's saying to me, it's okay not to be worried about things. And he says, you know, I've decided I'm just a kid that will take each, will cross each bridge as it comes. I wish that I had his ability to be so calm. He's actually teaching me stuff on a daily basis. And I think getting back to the question, I don't think that age is an indicator of leadership. I think the older you get, and I'm 53, the more inclined you are likely to be a little bit more staid in your ways. So in my view, the older you get, potentially it can actually impede your ability to change, to pivot, to be a little bit more agile or, or, to, or, to, or to change the way that you lead or want to be led. So, you know, I think getting back to the growth mindset, if we have young people that want to challenge the status quo, that want to do a different, do things a different way, I don't think age is a barrier at all. What do you think? 
I agree. I think you can be a leader at any age. And I think it's also important to acknowledge the differences at the different stages. Like you mentioned, if you're more experienced versus you don't have that experience. Personally, for me as a young person, I was like, I can do anything, whatever. I'm just going to go try stuff, which was great because I was naive and had no idea what I was doing, which also meant that I had no expectations of how it was going to work out. I was experimenting. It also meant I wasn't scared. Yes. Yeah. And I think the more that I've um, you know, made mistakes, failed in business, I do get the bit of a, oh, I don't want to tell everyone I'm doing this new business because the last one didn't go as I wanted it to. And then you get that kind of, you know, filters or those walls that build up. Um, having said that, there's so much experience that comes with that. And now, you know, looking back on questions people ask me early on around, what's your business model? What's your strategy? In the beginning, I'd go, what are they talking about? And now I go, oh, okay, it's clear. We're doing this. We're doing this. We're not doing that. And I can you know, have more of a conversation about it. So I think that's actually a real opportunity for partnership that we often don't acknowledge in, in leadership. So if you are someone that is young, you've got a lot to offer, often because you've got a lot of time and energy and you've got that naivety sometimes. Versus if you have someone who's experienced, they often have great networks and connections and can sponsor you. And that I found really helpful, particularly when I was starting my businesses early on, was that there were people who were experienced CEOs of large engineering companies who wanted to go make a difference to the next generation of engineers, but they didn't have necessarily the time. So they were able to introduce me to people in their network that I would you know, have not spent decades cultivating those relationships, but they had. And I thought that was so cool to see that partnership and the sponsorship of the grassroots change maker and then that experienced leader. So I think there's more we can do in this collaboration, particularly across the generations, rather than thinking, oh, I'm a leader, I've got to do it on my own. So if you if you are a young leader and you're listening to this podcast, getting a sponsor can be so powerful because it gives you that credibility. Um, but also I think as a young leader, you need to have those runs on the board. You need to have gone out and shown I've done some things I've tried some stuff here's where I'm at not just oh I've got an idea like help me with this thing um it's a two-way street I think that's right it is a two-way street and I think once again if we get back to what employees want from organizations now this they've got a bargaining chip right so if we look at the transactional relationship the contractual relationship between an employer and employee it has changed significantly like I've been in the in, you know, in the um, uh, in the workforce, you know, in 53, however long that is, I'm not good at maths either, right? But anyway, um, but back when I first started, all the cards were with the employer. Now, there is a real change in that dynamic, you know, and I think getting back to your point, the sponsoring piece and the relationship piece has to be two-way because, yes, the, the, the emerging leader wants to try and wants to be challenged and wants to challenge. But at the same time, the employer, the leader, actually needs to understand that if he or she does not engage in that relationship with almost like a, a, an equitable view, they could miss out on some really great people over here who will leave, who will walk, if that makes sense. So I agree. I think the sponsoring piece is, is right. I think always come with something to offer. I think that's really, really important. And don't be afraid to say, I'm not sure, how can you help? 
Mm. And I think young people have a lot that we can offer more experienced people, like I said, the time to dedicate to projects that leaders might be passionate about, but don't have that capacity to go fulfill on them. So there's actually, I think, surprisingly a lot that young people can offer. And even when I've mentored people, I've gone, oh, wow, I'm learning about my experiences and, and you get so much out of it as well. Awesome questions from the floor. Thank you for those who tuned in and put those in the chat. We're going to be having a live audience on this podcast every week. So if you want to come along, check out our website, weaspire.education for more info on how you can ask questions of me, Brett, or our guests that are going to be joining. We will be here with you next week with our special guest coming along. Thank you so much, Brett, for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure. Super excited to be kicking off this podcast with you. We're getting lots of love in the chat, so I'm getting distracted um, from the conversation. And we'll see you next week for more emerging excellence in leadership. Thanks so much, Brett. Thanks for listening. Great talking with you.